Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Well, hello and welcome to this week's Countryside with Kiri Kermit and myself, Simon Clark. And misunderstood creatures, I suppose, like the bats, uh, the owl, Kiri. But uh, a lot of people uh, dedicate their time, whether they be working for the, you know, the different um, wildlife trusts and the, the um, wildlife park here in the Isle of Man and volunteers as well. And they've been you're having these little workshops to, to let people know a little bit more about them. That's right. They have two great owls that they manage to take around to different schools and community events to try and educate some of the younger people on maybe a species or an animal they don't always see in the wild now. You know, they don't see as many of them as when we were younger out in the countryside. So it is nice that children are getting the opportunity to get out and have a, a stroke of these birds and actually be able to hold them on their wrist. It's an incredible opportunity for them. Yeah, and it's one of them things where, you know, I suppose kids are a little bit scared because they're always out at night, you know, aren't they? So That's right. I remember when I was younger when we used to go and cart the straw bales in in September and you'd often see one in the headlights of the tractors, you know, there'd be that nice summer evening and you don't see them as, as many as there were, but uh, they're still there. That's a first for me, a farmer with headlights that actually work on the tractor, <laughs> let me tell you that. And I spoke to Geoffrey uh, Boot, the Minister for DEFA, uh, to find out whether they'd... Um, well, they put out tenders for people to come forward or consortiums to try and run the Isle of Man meat plant to help out. And I spoke to him to find out whether they'd had any successful tenders and to find out if there wasn't any, uh, what the future will hold. So that's all in this week's Countryside. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well, it's getting to those months of the year where lots of the animals start their hibernation for the year and the nocturnal animals on the Isle of Man. But uh, they're still out flying out about the bats and particularly the owls. And you're at an event that's taught quite a bit about the uh, the mysterious birds, the owls. Yes, I went along to a workshop organised by the Manx Wildlife Trust here on the Isle of Man to get young people involved with the countryside. And this week their workshop was on owls. And I went along to catch up with some of the people in charge and some of the volunteers as well. Tina, today has been a real treat for the children here at the Manx Wildlife Trust workshop and you've brought along two real characters. <laughs> yes, we've got Bug and Pepsi here today, Pepsi the barn owl and Bug the spectacle owl, both here from the wildlife park. So it's nice to be able to bring them so the children can actually see an owl in real life. Are they both able to live here in the Isle of Man? Are they local species to Britain? Um, obviously Pepsi's the barn owl, yes, you will see barn owls on the Isle of Man. Um, Bug is a spectacled owl, so that would be Central South America in the Amazon rainforest. So hopefully, no, you wouldn't see one of those over here. <laughs> but I guess him uh, used to be in, in the rainforest, the climate might suit him. Yeah, yeah, they do actually like the rain. Um, even when it's torrential, you'll often find the spectacled owls just sitting out in the pouring rain, whereas the barn owl, you wouldn't. Their feathers are a lot softer, so get waterlogged very quickly. And the barn owl seems so much smaller than, than Bug. Yeah, obviously, uh, all different sizes of owl, but the barn owl is quite small. People don't always realise how small they are, because you will often see them in the lights of the car with the wings open, so they look a lot bigger. So people always say, is that fully grown? But yes, he's, he's nearly 15 now, so yeah, he's Aww. nearly fully grown. <laughs> 
We used to see many barn owls around when we were younger. We don't see as many now. Is, is times changing for them as a species? Yeah, I think times are. They're having a hard time. Um, in the UK, the average lifespan is probably two years because a lot of the habitat's been destroyed. The old barns where they used to live have been knocked down and rebuilt. Um, but over here, they're actively trying to sort of, I think they're trying to do a survey of the moment. So I think they, you know, they're wanting um, for people to let them know where the barn owls, where you see them. And they are trying to get bar, um, you know, boxes for the owls if you're in the right place. So we're trying to do a lot more for the barn owls over here now. But it is sad, it is sad. There was many scary stories that the, the barn owls were eating mice and small mammals that had been contaminated with poisons. Was this a case or was it a myth? No, it's, it, it is true. I mean, obviously, um, you know, people don't want mice and long tails around. The owls don't know whether they've been poisoned. Um, and obviously, yep, sometimes if they eat a poisoned mouse or poisoned long tail, then yep, the, the owls themselves will die. And do you see workshops like this bringing the owls along to young children as an essential part of growing up? I do. I think it's nice these days for the children to associate themselves with what goes on in our wildlife. Um, you, you know, they can see the owls for themselves. They can actually touch and stroke an owl, which you would never get the opportunity and I think we need to do more than people just sitting in front of you know the computer or iPad they need to go out and actually see these things. The children had a chance to dissect a pellet from a barn owl now what is a pellet? <laughs> a pellet is what the owl can't digest so it's regurgitated um, normally the day after they've eaten and in it is everything that they can't so the, the bones and the fur so yes and they've, they've been dissected dissecting them so they actually see what they've eaten. Was it not quite daunting that the children under microscope all of a sudden finding a shrew's head? Well it, yes it is I suppose to them but it's just what they eat so it's part of nature um, you know a lot of children even if you ask them about a chicken some people think a chicken comes in a plastic bag um, you know so we need to keep educating people. And I assume it's been well received here today. Yes, it's been really busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah but bless him, I think has been on every hand today. So he'd be quite tired when he gets home. But these owls would normally be asleep in the daytime, I suppose, too. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're both nocturnal, but they are used to going out and about. And um, they do go to quite a few different places. So it's nice for us to be able to take them. But they're used to it. So Mary, did you get to actually hold the owls here today? Yes. And were they, were they scary? No. They have to get their balance skill to, if they're going to do it, so they flap their wings. And barn owls, they have coloured feathers because they have barn, they live in barns, so it can make them disguised. Which was your favourite owl here today? Probably Bug, the speckled one. Oh, and he's quite a bit bigger than Pepsi the barn owl. Yeah, but um, Pepsi, this year, she's going, he's going to be turning 15, but actually the Bug will be turning 5. Which owl did you prefer the best, Rosie? Big owl. And did he not scare you because he's so big? No. Graham Bayliss, you're a volunteer with the Manx Wildlife Trust. You must get to see some wonderful sights here on the Isle of Man. Yeah, I see a lot of wildlife through this, and, and through this I get the interest to see more. Yeah. There is loads of wildlife on, on, on the island. All you've got to do is stop and open your eyes. If you don't open your eyes, you won't see it. But there's so much wildlife. 
you've just got to look for it. This is it. And having classes like this, workshops for the children to get out and explore what we have here, this is where it all starts. This is where it all starts. And these kids are so high up on what they know. They do know such a lot. You heard them today, they had the answer when they were asked a question. And you just think, how do they know that? How do they know that? But they, they, they love their wildlife and they come here to study it. They come here to see what we're talking about and getting on with it. Kids are loving it today because they can handle the owls. And the owls are loving it because they, 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 they love the kids. But is that interaction and that opportunity, it, it means a lot? It does. It means a lot to me. It means that I'm doing the job that I've set out to do. And at the end of the day, the kids are getting an awful lot out of it. And that's what it's all about. It's the safeguarding of the wildlife here on the Isle of Man, I suppose. Yes. And hoping in the future that we will look after our island better. Dawn, a very successful workshop here about the owls. It certainly was. There were a lot of very engaged children there. What does it mean to the Wildlife Trust to have a classroom full of children like this, that has shown an avid interest in what's around the Isle of Man? It's very encouraging, actually, because they're our future and they're going to be the guardians for wildlife for us, so it's just fabulous to see. Yeah. How do you manage to choose which, which workshops to have? Because last week they were telling me they had turtles, this week they've got owls. You know, it's, it's so refreshing. It's quite hard, actually, because there's an awful lot you can learn out there. It's sort of um, what's going to engage the children. Um, like, I'm going to workshop on poo, which obviously goes down so well with children. They absolutely love it. Straight away, you're engaging them, and then they're very keen to go out and keep on learning from that. So, yeah. Today, we had the two visitors, Bug and Pepsi. It must be really nice for children to get hands-on with actual animals. It's really, really good because it really drums home about these owls. Um, they can understand about the physiology of them, the, you know, um, just touching them, interacting with them. They can understand what they're like in the wild. Because let's face it, when you go out, usually when you see an owl, it's a very fleeting little silhouette. Yeah, they, well, this is, is very true. And for them to dissect the pellet as well, to discover all the animals. How did you come about collecting all of this information together? Um, I used to do it a long, long time ago, so I had to refresh myself as well. Um, but certainly it, it gives us a lot of information as well about the rodent life on the island and how things are doing, yeah. And for the children to dissect and find little bones and little miniature skulls, is it not a bit scary? They seem to like it, actually. I think as adults, we feel things are quite gruesome and a bit yucky. But children, no, they don't see that. They haven't developed that yet. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. <laughs> you run many, um, many workshops, Dawn, with the Wildlife Trust. Is it a small organisation? Are you trying to get more people on board? How important is it here on the island? We are um, the leading conservation um, charity on the island, and it is important that we do get children involved. They're going to be our guardians. I have seen an increase in children becoming engaged. Um, at the moment in schools there's a great push for learning outside the classroom which is absolutely brilliant to see and it's got over that hurdle we had a hump where um, risk assessment was stopping people going out enjoying the countryside and now that teachers have seen the benefit and how the children are really infused when they come back in I think they're seeing that's more positive 
and the risk assessments really aren't as scary as they think. Well, this is it, but not all children are classroom children. You know, they're not all academic. So giving them the opportunity to explore the outdoors and see what's available other than literature, it, it must be quite excelling for them. It certainly is. I mean, we get all sorts of children that come in. Um, we have um, special needs children, autistic children, and they all access it on their own level and they open up. It's absolutely fantastic to see. Yeah, it gives them the opportunity, doesn't it? Whereas sometimes they think, oh, well, I'm not very good at maths but they find and react to something like this workshop and excel above and beyond many of the other children. They certainly do, and they'll actually often spot things that we don't spot or ask the questions that you're sort of really probing questions that maybe adults wouldn't ask either. Yeah, you know, it's, it's the opportunities, isn't it? It's providing the, the chance. It certainly is, yeah. yeah. With smaller workshops outside of school environment, do you find children will interact more? They do seem to open up more, and because you can talk to them more on a one-to-one -one basis, we've got a bit more time for them. It's not as challenging as maybe in the classroom setting. So yes, they do gradually open up, and I'm seeing the same children revisiting, and we're getting a really good rapport established, yeah. So yeah, sometimes it's a chance for children that maybe don't have such a great home life or don't really like school environment. It's a chance to get outside, but actually still keep learning. It certainly is, and the other thing is a lot of them see all these things on the television, and they're so keen to share it. It's like David Attenborough is like their saviour. <laughs> but today you've had a band of volunteers helping you as well. It must be a team effort. It certainly is. I really couldn't manage without them, and it's just the practicalities of like signing people in and things like that, but it's just, they are awesome. They really are a good team. And, and they're fully engaged too. They really enjoy it too. Oh, they keep me on my toes. <laughs> I was Dawn Dickens from the Manx Wildlife Trust, Tina Jauncey from the Curragh Wildlife Park, Graham Bayliss, a volunteer, and some of the children involved in the workshop. It sounded a hoot. <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant. The children really loved the afternoon. And what an experience to actually dissect a regurgitated pellet out of the owls and find all the little bones in amongst it and what they've been eating and learning about their diet. It was absolutely fascinating. Yeah, and I suppose it's... Um... Uh, the, the creatures or the birds that I suppose as adults we know, but the children uh, are sort of getting to know more about them a little bit and are sort of loving them in a way with seeing them on the likes of the Harry Potter stories and things, isn't it? That's right. There was a, a mass influx into actually getting owls as pets after the Harry Potter films, which was an interesting fact that we learnt. But, um, yeah, they're, they're quite rare now. There's, you don't see as many owls around the countryside as we once did, and um, which is quite sad, really. But to have an opportunity to get up close with these at birds and stroke them and actually learn so much about them, it's, it's the awareness to the children to actually have a better way of life and look after their litter and everything else that affects them. Yeah, and when you see them up close at the wildlife park, it's amazing that, that just the way they can turn that head completely round, isn't it? it it is, and the sheer size, you don't realise how big some of them are, especially Bugsy, he's a big rainforest owl, and he was just so, so big compared to the smaller barn owls. Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Well, the meat plant saga has been going for quite a while now, concerns 
from the Manx public, the politicians, and of course the Manx farmers who uh, put their livestock in there. Well, they choose to, some of them. Uh, well, I've been finding out the latest news on it. Uh, they've been running a programme to see whether anyone's going to come forward uh, with tenders to run the beet plant. So I thought it was a good opportunity to go and talk to the Minister for Defford, Geoffrey Boot. But there doesn't seem to have been much success there, and there seems to be no resolution as yet to the meat plant. There is a resolution, a plan B going forward. Unfortunately, we had to cancel the tender process, but uh, we would have been remiss not to have been working on a, a plan B, which I've alluded to both in Parliament and outside. Yes, we have a plan B. It involves uh, us taking control, in essence, with a golden share through a new operational company and injecting a board below the FMA and uh, the Marketing Society. We've had preliminary meetings with both the Marketing Society, FMA and the NFU and explained what we're trying to do because this is really last chance saloon. It's fair to say that if this was a, an easy problem to solve, it would have been solved many years ago. And it's just staggered on from uh, highs to lows since the loss of red meat derogation. So uh, this is it, really. We've gone through a very comprehensive tender process, and it's obvious that there is not a private operator out there. So as government, it, we viewed the meat plant as a strategic asset for farming and food production generally. So we are going to try this time round to reinvigorate the company with new management, competent management, better sales, better marketing. And also we're going to help uh, motivate farmers to bring their meat through the plant by increasing the uh, level of price paid for their stock to an equivalent UK price. The tender process then, did people look at it and say, huh? No chance and, and there was no takers? Well, a lot of people criticise the, the, the length of time this has taken, but in, in actual fact, we instigated a, a PIN process, that's a prior information notice process, shortly after I became minister and it was apparent that we were going to have to do something. That took a while and then we went into a formal tender process. There were seven notifications of interest during the PIN process, but that narrowed down and we only eventually had two tenders so it was a very small field but i heard you mention maybe more money for the farmers surely that'll get uh, them involved a lot more and you mentioned i think about trying to get more through the plant and get the the export side of it working better which hopefully be like the bermuda triangle it'll all come back and help one another well it'll be a virtuous <laughs> circle let's put it like that. that that would be the theory well one of the criticisms the meat planters had and that's has been going on for some time is that they haven't been paying uk equivalent prices well it's obvious that if they don't pay the right money for the stock then farmers have another route to market and that's to, to live export so we want to try and capture that gdp on ireland and and it's important that farmers finish animals on island because the agricultural community is very interconnected. If they don't finish the animals, they don't buy the extra feed and all the other stuff that goes along with that. So we want those animals on island so they're finished on island. And then we want to capture them through the meat plant. Now, the meat plant over the last few years through poor marketing and I'm not going to criticize the present uh, board they've done their best with the tools that they've had but with better marketing we wouldn't have lost what affect most of the local market so they've been having to sell into the UK market sometimes 
almost, I wouldn't say use the word, the wrong word, dumping, but they've, they've had to sell whatever they could get in the UK, which sometimes hasn't been as good a price as it could have been. So we want to improve the whole chain. And yes, there will be an injection of money into the, the rural economy, uh, quite a considerable amount of money, which I think will be beneficial to farmers and the rural economy generally. So hopefully you sort of think, right, we looked into it, looked into it, we'll inject this money in with the hope off really at the end of it getting it back in other ways well the rural economy it's circular money there's a multiplier effect if you put money in it gets spent locally and we've done some research but it's very difficult to tie down but if you if you spend a pound in the isle of man and it stays within the the local economy it can have a multiplier effect of anything from four to 16 times the input so as government we've looked at this and uh, well, as a department, and uh, we feel that it, it, it is the right time to try and motivate farmers to put their stock through the meat plant and try and make the meat plant a viable option. I think there's an acceptance in government that it's never going to be a meat plant that will operate in the way that they do across where they have hundreds of thousands of animals going through. We're talking about tens of thousands of animals. So we're never going to have that scale of operation. And there will ongoing i'm sure be some form of subvention necessary to enable that but if we can motivate farmers to use it and get more local sales and work and one of the other options that we're working in parallel with on better marketing and management is to have a strategic business partner in the uk which will take the marketing away from a team on the isle of man apart from the local marketing and if we can get that strategic partner within the next 12 to 15 months then I think the situation will look a lot better and it will cost us a lot less money as government. The new butcher's charter and the province label, uh, they seem to have been working wonders with local butchers and things like that. What about the, the big supermarkets on the island? Are they... Are they there? Well, yes, we're pushing in an open door if we market properly and we have continuity of supply. ShopRite have, have recently started stocking more local meat again. And as you rightly point out, the uh, butcher's provenance label enables people to buy meat I think from four or five outlets at the moment, but that will increase, I'm sure, that they know has been produced on Ireland. And, and that meat is quality meat, but it also has low food miles and all the good stuff that goes with that. I am hoping that within the next short while, we will see Manx meat again in one of the major supermarkets on Ireland. And I think that would be a great stride forward. And as consumers want that. And I think the supermarkets themselves realise that uh, marketing regionally produced food is good business for them as well. You're always going to get people who want to support local because they know, like you said earlier, how it's going to go back into the community. I mean, people are supplying tractors and agents on the Isle of Man and farm machinery, things like that, fertilisers, sort of come away from the farmer side of it that can go so it can like you say it can go round and round well the department's title is an environment food and agriculture and that includes a wide range of issues but the environmental effects of poor farming or less farming will soon be evident in the countryside that we so love they look after our environment as part of their business and if they weren't there i hate to think what would happen to the countryside so that's one part of it and then the food side is very much linked to local production we've spent a lot of money on promoting our food strategy and that's working our gdp has gone from 75 to nearly 95 million doesn't sound a lot by uk standards but by island standards that's 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 
that's a lot of extra money and that's working well and part of that strategy is having local meat and uh, if we don't have that local meat then it blows that strategy completely out of the water so it, it, it's all interlinked and as you rightly say the supply chain and the multiplier effect around what happens locally is very good for the economy how are you ever going to change some people or some will want always to support the local one some would buy the cheapest meat possible so they can have an iPhone 7. <laughs> that's that's true. You, 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 human nature is such that some will, will buy local, some, some won't. And price is, is a great motivator. But uh, I, I would ask people when they go into a shop to think about what they're doing and support their fellow farmers or the farmers and, and buy local because a few pence extra here and there can be the difference between a business surviving or failing. And, and we recently commissioned some research on Manx farms, for instance, to see how viable they were and what was driving motivators for farms financially. And it's pretty obvious that a lot of the smaller family farms aren't viable unless they get some subsidy from the government that's the ads payment and also they require genuine help from external financial sources i.e that one of the partners or could be working somewhere else to help support the farm or they're diversifying out of farming and that's not just a phenomenon that's common to the isle of man farming community it's happening all over the uk especially with the hill farms so some form of subsidy is required and i think that that has to be implicit in what we're doing and i hear so often people coming on the radio saying oh take the subsidy off the farmers because they're all rich well i can tell you most of the farmers that i meet are working very hard some of them working well in excess of 50 to 70 hours a week sometimes particularly in the winter in dirty harsh cold conditions it's not the shangri-la that it's made out and i take my hat off to them what's the the next step then you got a lot of work ahead then to get all this in motion you and your team yes uh, we're working hard this coming week is going to be a busy one we need to meet with all the parties we need everyone on side i think there is a realization as i said earlier that this is the last chance for the meat plant if we don't make this work and that's not just government i'm talking about the farming community and also the people who are buying the produce locally then i'm afraid we're looking at no meat plant in 15 to 18 months time and i think that will be a sad loss for the island and it will lead to a decline in farming that maybe i say terminal it will certainly see a, a vast reduction in the way we farm at the moment the minister for the department of environment food and agriculture jeffrey boot uh, still trying to solve that problem with the isle of man meat plants and uh, as he was saying they're trying to give something back to encourage the farmers to keep uh, their meat and their livestock here on the isle of man kiri and it's a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because, uh, as he mentioned there, people are exporting because it's worth it at the moment. They can export, pay the prices for exporting them, and still come away with more than putting it to the Isle of Man meat plant, which is quite bad, I suppose. That's right, but exporting is a very difficult task, and it's uh, very weather-dependent. And as you see, our winters are, are quite uh, brutal here on the island, so it is a difficult job to do. But it's the uncertainty that is around the countryside, and people don't know whether to purchase cattle to finish them ready for the meat plant here. It's it's difficult times, and yeah, we could do with some answers, really, I yeah. suppose. Well, it's uh, going to go on, so uh, they're obviously trying to get a solution to this, so uh, we'll wait and see. But that's just about it for this week's programme. 
But before we go, Kiri, you've got a couple of events happening. That's right. It's the second part of the Christmas Primestock show this Friday, the 1st of December at the Isle of Man Fatstock from 6.30. So it'll be nice to see as many people get down to see that. An event happening on Saturday, the 2nd of December. It's at the Derby Community Centre, which uh, is in the medical centre there. And uh, it's an event run by Eronane. And it's uh, the opening of the new community centre to the public. They're going to be showing their plans, what they uh, expect to be doing in the future for Derby. Derby. And of course, this on the back as well of the proposals to make some land available for the Jerby community to put to good use. So that's from two till four at the Jerby Medical Centre this Saturday. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well, still uh, no answer and no successful tenders for the Alaman meat plants, Kiri. Um, but I suppose the farmers have got to look at it as if Maybe something's coming forward that uh, they, they don't want to get it wrong again by the sound of it. This is it, Ted. Change is always good, they say, um, but it's the uncertainty that there is around the farming community. And, yeah, so let's hope they do find a resolution soon. Yeah, indeed, and uh, sounded a, a good time with the with the kids and the grown-ups and yourself, looking at old people. <laughs> That's right, I thoroughly Not enjoyed... the old people, <laughs> the people in the owls. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed the workshop as well and it was absolutely fascinating how the children were absolutely silent doing their little piece underneath the magnifying glass and actually stroking the owls and that opportunity is absolutely priceless. Mm-hmm. It'd be handy if you could turn around and look behind you like an owl. <laughs> well, this is it. They don't miss a trick, do they? <laughs> no, they don't. But we'll leave it there for this week's Countryside and see you next week. So from me, Simon Clark. And me, Kerry Kermit. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now. With Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.